Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, August 18th. It's happening again. Former President Donald Trump is facing yet another indictment regarding the events of January 6th. We get details on what makes this indictment different from the other three facing the former president with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Researchers are using the power of math to understand how sleep disruptions like daylight saving time, night shifts, and jet lag affect the body's circadian rhythm. We hear details on the research and get some tips on how to get a better night's sleep with Stephanie Abbo, PhD student from the University of Waterloo. And finally, this year marks the 25th anniversary of the Calgary Stampeders' 1998 Grey Cup win. We take the opportunity to catch up with a legendary member of that Stampeders squad, quarterback Jeff Garcia four indictments in four months. Yes, we're talking about former President Donald Trump. Joining us to discuss this and all the latest news stateside is Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Hi, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Can we uh, break down the latest? It seems that we've been talking about this with you for weeks, but there's another one. So uh, what's the latest with uh, Donald Trump? Yeah, so a couple things are going on here. There's the back and forth over what the trial date looks like for the case uh, here in Washington related to efforts to overturn the election. And Special Counsel Jack Smith has proposed a January 2nd start day. Uh, We got a response from Trump's legal team yesterday, and we know they want to delay this until after the election. But brace yourselves for this. They are proposing that the trial should start in 2026. That's probably not going to be granted by the judge, but it gives you a sense that they want that to take place after the uh, 2024 election. At the same time, you've got this case in Georgia where the indictment was, of course, handed down uh, last week. We're still waiting on details of, or I guess this week, I should say. Feels like it's been weeks. We're still waiting on the details of when Trump will be arraigned and uh, when he will actually have to turn himself in for surrender. And those are two separate uh, things that are going on. But really, the Georgia indictment is is absolutely sweeping, right? There are 19 people in total, including Trump here. It's charged under racketeering charges, essentially saying that this was operating like an organized crime outfit. And it's potentially pretty severe because if Trump is convicted, he can't receive any presidential pardon in the future because it's state charges. And Georgia is one of two states where the governor doesn't even have pardon power. Oh, yeah. So my next question was, could he actually be convicted? Multiple indictments. So this this does, in the grand scheme of things, looking at the different pieces within this indictment, look to be the strongest of, of the handful that we've seen? You know, it's hard to say. It's the most complicated because all 19 co-defendants will go on trial at the exact same time. Now, part of the strategy there is that the DA is going to try and play them off each other, right? You get people to flip and cooperate and plead out and so that by the time you go to trial, maybe you're down to seven or eight people who are actually on trial and they've got you know, people who turned against them. Uh, but a complicated case like that may be more difficult and take longer to prove than, say, Jack Smith's case in Washington, where it's just Trump. There are unindicted co-conspirators uh, who are going to be dealt with separately. And he's put Trump on by himself saying, hey, we could deal with this, you know, really, really rapidly and start as early as January. Maybe this is a bit of a naive question, but these indictments, are they nonpartisan? They are. So they are determined by a grand jury. And a grand jury is just a jury that makes the determination as to whether or not to bring charges. So it is 12 ordinary people plucked at random, uh, and they are presented with the evidence. They are presented with uh, rebuttals. For example, Trump was given the opportunity to come and present his own case to the grand jury. Typically, defendants don't do that when you're the subject, but they're given the option. And then after they're presented with the evidence, the grand jury makes the decision as to whether or not to proceed with all of the specific charges. All right, we got to talk about the... 
natural disasters that seem to be pockets across North America, well, across the world for that matter, uh, and stateside Hawaii and what is going on there. What is the latest in the overall devastation? Uh, can, we put a, can we put a price on it? And, and the death toll at this point as well continues to grow. What do we know? Yeah, so, uh, you know, they're still continuing to search houses. They've only searched about a quarter of the area. The sort of latest development now is that the emergency manager for Maui uh, abruptly resigned yesterday, citing health issues. He had been facing specific criticism over the fact that emergency sirens did not sound. And he said he didn't sound the sirens specifically because he felt that uh, they're typically used for tsunamis and that he worried that that would actually cause people to run away from the water and toward the fire. But there are certainly questions about whether or not there were failures at the hands of emergency management. The electrical utility on the island is coming under criticism as well for failing to turn off power lines. And there's some suggestion that perhaps it was down power lines and those high winds that started the fires. We understand there are now three or four separate lawsuits against the power utility uh, for alleged negligence in this case, uh, believing that power lines were the source of this fire. And Jackson, what's the concern down there with land prices that that some that real somebody will come in and buy up the real estate that that has you know been burnt? I, I'm confused as to that topic. Yeah, you know, I haven't followed that part of it super closely, but I do know that there is a concern that people will not be able to afford to rebuild or that any rebuilding might prioritize people who aren't from the island or outside developers because obviously it's a, a vacation hotspot and it is valuable land. Gotcha. So I think that's going to be a tough part of the conversation moving forward. Well, very interesting. Yes, absolutely. And as far as the heat is concerned, we did see the heat up here uh, weather-wise. And in fact, it just put a cap on our heat warning a few short hours ago. We were uh, 33 degrees, 34 degrees rather yesterday, Jackson, a new record. Are you still being hammered by the heat uh, stateside? Yeah, in fact, the week ahead is really going to be one to watch. They're expecting uh, sort of a ridge of extreme temperatures, another heat dome across the central part of the country. And uh, we're looking uh, at really, really extreme temperatures here, sort of baking in at the worst possible time, at a time when a lot of places have gone a very long time without rainfall, for example. Lots going on. Thank you for always keeping us up to date. Have a wonderful weekend, Jackson. Thanks. Have a great weekend. You too, Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Everyone has a circadian rhythm, a.k.a. your natural clock, but not all are given the same care. Mathematician Stephanie Abo has led a study on what is working against your body's natural function and how you can go about fixing it. Good morning to you, Stephanie. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, let's break this down. The brain's natural clock, uh, we're calling it the the natural clock, the circadian rhythm, uh, it can impact the rest of our body functions, can't it? How does it do so? Oh, absolutely. So as it turns out, we all have this master clock, this internal biological clock which is actually in our brain and it's linked or at least connected to the optic nerves and so when we receive light from the sun it activates neurons that start to fire and produce certain hormones in the process but then feed down to the entire body but i think one of the most surprising facts about this biological clock is that almost every cell in our body has one so everything from your liver to your pancreas to your kidneys to your muscle cells, they all operate with this 24-hour rhythm that pretty much follows the light cycle. So tell us a little bit, Stephanie, about how math then comes into play when we talk about things like you know, daylight saving, night shift, jet lag, how it might affect the body's circadian rhythm. How does math come into play here? So a lot of these systems, actually, a lot of these systems are very hard to test in the lab. So it's sometimes for ethical reasons or cost reasons. 
it's very difficult to get measurements from, from a group of neurons, say, in a person. So some experiments are done in rodents, some experiments are done in other animals, but using a mathematical model, we can pretty much have a metaphor for what these systems are in real life. So we built a model of a group of neurons. So we assume that we have a large number of those biological clock neurons that interact with each other using mathematical equation. And then we can try to simulate what it would be like to be exposed to disruptions, like constant traveling, so having chronic jet lag, for instance, or constant scrolling on the phone or working shift work if you constantly work night shifts, for instance. And that we call it, um, in mathematics at least, or at least statistics, there is a term for it called noise or white noise. So we can represent those perturbations in real life in mathematical terms, which is called noise. And so we built this mathematical model that represents a group of neurons, and we added some of that white noise to it in order to simulate constant disruptions that people might be um, experiencing in daily life. And then once you simulate those equations and you look at the numerical results, it can tell you something about the actual behavior of a natural system like those neurons. All right. So we've broken down some of the disruptions that can take place and, uh, you know, kind of get in the way of the natural clock doing its thing. But can can some people be predisposed to having an irregular natural clock? Is, Is everybody's ticking at the same pace and it's just these disruptions? But could some have a less reliable natural clock to begin with? We all have what we call a chronotype. So that's why if some people would qualify themselves as, as early birds, others as night owls. So we all kind of have our own rhythm, but it's more or less close to that 24-hour rhythm. Now, there are exceptions, right? There could be genetic mutations, or some people have, have um, certain genes that make them have a very dis- dis- disturbed circadian rhythm, which is either much shorter than the regular rhythm or much longer than the regular rhythm. But for most of us, we're pretty much very close to uh, a 24-hour period. Now, sometimes you might have a preference for nighttime because we get more of our energy then or a preference for the early morning because we also get most of our energy then. But on average, it's fair to say that we all have all have a tight regulation of the circadian clock. So we've talked about the disruptions. We've talked about the sort of mathematical equation that gets us there. Is it possible for our natural clock to adapt and adjust? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the body is very robust and resilient, right? So a lot of the time when you travel, if you travel, for instance, to the west, it's easier because when you increase the day of the land, uh, the day land, for instance, you increase it past 24 hours and your body clock sometimes can be slightly uh, longer, at least the period of the clock is slightly longer than 24 hours, it's easy for you to recover from jet lag. However, if you travel east, it might take you a bit longer to recover because you travel, you lose the hours of the day, right? So it moves in contradiction to the circadian clock, and so it's a little bit harder to recover from jet lag. Now, there are instances where, at least what we could see with this model, is that the more perturbation you apply to the circadian clock, the harder it becomes to bring it back. Yes, you can bring it back. Um, It just becomes a lot more difficult. So a good example of this would be, say if you scroll your phone at night very often and you have a very disturbed sleep, perhaps it would have taken you in the past 10 days of, you know, constant scrolling at night to start feeling the impact of that on your sleep, on the quality of your sleep and your energy levels during the day. But now it might just take you two to three days. 
Let's uh, talk about, you know, when you wake up, Stephanie, you've had a bad sleep. We know you can feel a little sluggish, maybe not yourself. That's that's kind of a one-day thing. But what what about the long-term consequences of having a weak or impaired natural clock? Like if we're talking weeks or months go by and, and you just seem to not be able to get back on track, what sorts of things would we be noticing and, and what would be detrimental? When it comes to... When it comes to perturbing the circadian clock, a lot of the time what will happen is the body will try to adapt. So if you constantly, uh, say, stay awake at night, you will start to have a tendency to be awake at night and your body will have a tendency to follow that natural rhythm. Now, although the body has this resilience to adapt to those changes, it's not necessarily good because there are processes that are just fixed. You produce cortisol in the morning for you to be active. You produce melatonin at night for you to go to sleep. Digestion is regulated. And so over the long term, what clinicians, at least clinical research and scientists have been showing through experimental studies is that it could lead to memory loss or it has the potential to lead to an early onset of diabetes. So, I mean, you came up with this mathematical equation talking about how, you know, you could, we could be potentially be breaking our body clock. But so what were you hoping to find and did you get the results you were expecting when you did this? So the original goal of this was really to model perturbation, have a slightly more realistic model of what it would be like to have disruptions applied to, to the circadian rhythm. So that was the goal of the project. What we were hoping, yes. All right. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there for time, but thank you so much for your time, Stephanie. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. That is Stephanie Abo, PhD student in applied mathematics at the University of Waterloo and the study's lead author. Uh, Sue, I think we could all use more sleep. Oh, we could all use quality yeah. sleep. And uh, I like what she was saying because, yeah, those things that we do to get in our own way, that's fine. But I think sometimes when you get off track, it's the further you get, the distance uh, you get from being on that track, the, the further the harder it is to find your way back in the sense that you get in these habits. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, you know, I do like to scroll on my phone before bed. Bad it's no habit, different than a magazine. But this is what I'm doing. But even if it might be something part of your routine now, it's not as effective as perhaps getting away from those blue lights. Maybe it's not as effective as, you know, working out at night and then just trying to conk out. The sleep hygiene and setting yourself up for success, mm-hmm. we got to do that first, I think, and yep. then maybe see if you have problems. It's key. But, you know, once you started bringing math into the equation, I kind of glazed <laughs> into over. Into the equation. Yeah, it was, it was like I was back in grade 12. I just stopped listening. Kidding. I, I didn't, but I think it is important. You're right. You've got to do the right things to have a proper Help sleep. yourself. Yes. It's so crucial. I'm exhausted just thinking about it all. I bet you are. You need some sleep. I do. Eight seventeen on your Friday morning. You heard the the promo a second ago tonight. Kind of a big deal. Legacy night. Your Calgary Stampeders squaring off against the Bombers at seven p.m. Full coverage here. We are the voice of the Calgary Stampeders. QR Calgary and QRCalgary.com, where you can indeed listen and stream live. Now, very special guest joining us on the line. He is the pride of San Jose State University. Plenty of experience in the National Football League. But we're talking to him because he was part of the 1998 Grey Cup champions. He was pivot number seven, Jeff Garcia. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing awesome, guy. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm still waking up, but uh, <laughs> all is good. Great to be back in Calgary. Glad to have you back, Jeff. And I remember these days like it was yesterday. 
uh, plus or minus 25 years ago. Mm. Um, fantastic times for the Calgary Stampeders fans. What's your greatest takeaway when people say the word Calgary to you, Jeff, these days? I mean, just the memories of the people, the fans, my teammates, organization. It was such a positive experience for me. Uh, I never knew what it would turn into when I first came to Calgary in 1994 and was new to the city, new to the team, new to the CFL uh, league, the rules of the game, all those things. But what a tremendous experience it turned into for me, just the relationships that I built over that time. It really was like nothing else. And even going into the NFL, having a career in the NFL for 11 years, I never had a locker room in the NFL like I had in Calgary. The camaraderie that I had with my teammates, the relationships that we built on and off the field, uh, just the experiences that we shared, uh, the memories, so many great times, uh, both on the field with our our winning and and competitiveness as well as celebrating and enjoying uh, things off the field. And we just uh, really made the most of the moment and um you know anytime somebody mentions calgary i mean i'm sure i light up a smile comes across my face because i have nothing but cherished memories from that time here and jeff i mean we expect and we do love a winning football team in this city what was it like in terms of the fans and the you know kind of the response you got off the field whether it was before or after winning the gray cup well, I think that they truly embraced me as a player. I know that they had been spoiled with Doug Flutie being the quarterback here for a few years and the experiences that he brought and the winning ways that he brought and probably didn't really know what to expect from me when I stepped on the field. And then all of a sudden it turned into a really positive thing and we kept the winning ways going and, you know, came into being Grey Cup champions after that 1998 season. And the fans just, I think, really looked at me as as one of their own. And I had really sunk myself into being a resident here in the city, opening a restaurant, purchasing a home, becoming somewhat of a year-round citizen of Calgary. And, uh, and I think they appreciated that. I think they saw me as one of them and 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 saw somebody that was you know just out there battling trying to do his best and um being scrappy being someone who's somewhat of a grinder and and i think that resonated with them and uh you know they always treated me very well and uh were always very appreciative of my effort on the field and i thank them for that we're glad to have you this morning, and we love looking back 25 years. Hard to believe it, 1998, yeah, a quarter of a century ago. Uh, we look back, and we're going to celebrate tonight with Legacy Night, but what about Jeff Garcia in 2023? A lot of your fans up here are going to want to know what you're up to uh, these days. What are you doing with your time? Well, I've been a busy dad for the last uh, 15 years or so. I have four kids. Two are now in high school, a 15- and a 14-year-old, and then I have a almost 13 and almost 12 year old that are still in the middle school ranks, but uh, I'm coaching my oldest child is a girl, my daughter Presley. She loves football. And this year in California, girls flag football has become a sanctioned high school sport. 
and it's the first year running. And so her high school, I've become one of the coaches on the staff and I'm teaching girls how to play football. And uh, it's been awesome. We had a turnout of 60 girls sign up for one flag football team and it's seven on seven. So we had to create two flag football teams out of it. But these girls are getting after it. They're competitive. They're athletic. And uh, my daughter's right there in the mix with them. And she's like, Dad, I need to be the starting quarterback. And I'm like, honey, I'm going to put you wherever you need to be put at to help this team team out. And you may not be the quarterback, but you're going to be getting the ball a lot. So don't worry about that. Just do what Dad asked. They don't want to do what dad asks. They, <laughs> they think they have it all figured out themselves. But that being said, I'm very blessed to be able to pick and choose what I want to do. I did do some TV work. I did some things in the past uh, relating with the NFL. I coached in the CFL at one time with Montreal back in 2014. But at the end of the day, my kids are the most important thing for me in my life. And being able to share in their experiences, their adventures, their journey is really what it's all about for me. And it's very rewarding to be a dad who's present and and still, you know, still active enough to, to be out there playing with them. I love it. And if your daughter's not the starting quarterback at some point, Jeff, you're going to be in big trouble. You know that. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it looks like tonight <laughs> for the legacy game. I mean, what happens on the field for, with you guys? Well, I think it's just going to be awesome to, first of all, be back around my teammates. A lot of these guys I haven't seen in 25 years. And so to reconnect with them and and share stories, and I'm sure the stories are just going to get better and better because of the time that has passed. But then to bring that Grey Cup out, share that with the fans, allow them to, hey, be a part of what was 25 years ago, relive that today. Uh, Some of the highlights that will be showcased there at the game tonight with that team from the 98 great cup championship and you know just all of that it's going to be bottled up into one shining moment and it's going to be uh, a blast to 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 bring back that part of history and to relive that with the fans especially a lot of the young fans that are going to be there tonight that probably don't know much about the 98 great cup team they're going to see uh, what that team was made up of and how many great players came out of that team and just the collection of these great players and how they came together as a team and uh, united as one to win a championship, which is awesome. Sounds outstanding. Uh, you know, we're happy to have you back, uh, if, if only for one night tonight. Jeff, uh, we'll be down there uh, checking out the game. Kickoff at 7. Thanks so much, Jeff. We appreciate it. You got it. Always. Thank you. Have a great day, and we'll see you later. You betcha. That's number seven from your 1998 Calgary Stampeders quarterback, Jeff Garcia.